also doing stories on Retreat Lead. Uh, we were thinking that Marcus would call in. He has not called in yet. Marcus was with us just yesterday. And, uh, let's see. Uh, he was with us yesterday. Call again. Yesterday we had some pretty strong opinions about things. And we continue that today. He didn't get to finish his full presentation, I don't think. And we thought we would continue it today. But I haven't heard yet from... Oh, there he is. Marcus is on the line. See? It's always good to just take it easy, calm down, and everything will be all right. So here's what we're going to do today. I did announce yesterday that we will continue yesterday's discussion today. And uh, Marcus was in the, the midst of giving his, uh, his, I should say, presenting his topic, but time ran out. And so I did say to him, please call back tomorrow and we will continue. And in fact, he's on the line right now. Hello, Marcus. Uh, good afternoon, Utrice. How are you today? Uh, I'm hanging in. I'm hanging in. Oh, so, so today you are going to continue your topic and, and round it out. As, yes. And we will continue the rest of the program in that vein. Today is going to be Free Your Mind Friday. We usually have... Uh, topics being discussed, whatever it is people want to talk about. So we call it Free Your Mind Friday. And yesterday you started your topic. You're going to continue it today. Let us hear from you what your topic was. And you can continue from where you left off yesterday, keeping in mind that we do have other people later on who will be yeah. joining the program and expressing their points of view about a variety of, of uh, issues. Yes. Um, if you like, I can recapitulate what I said uh, yesterday. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, a, a frequent um, topic of discussion um, uh, from your listeners is that people are uninformed. And uh, there seems to be the implication that if magically people were informed about what was going on, the knowledge is power myth, that suddenly people would know exactly what to do to spring into action to uh, dismantle the tyranny we're currently living under. I submit that's false, and it's rather self-serving to think so. And I cited uh, a, a poll that came from the University of Chicago's Institute of Politics just before um, the 4th of July, um, uh, pointing out that a quarter of voters basically say they may soon have to take up arms against the government. Uh, the direct quote is, at some point, uh, for citizens to take up arms against the government, 
50% of voters hold such a belief. One in three Republicans, one in three independents, one in five Democrats. And that they say uh, they agree, the majority agree that it is, quote, corrupt and rigged against everyday people like me. So my, my contention is, is that it is not a matter of ignorance. People do understand what the situation is. The problem is one of cowardice. Our task is our fear. And if the only way we can change this, as I pointed out yesterday, uh, there are three routes by which you can respond to a tyranny. One is with drinking and drugging yourself into insensibility. You can fill up the churches with hosannas, hoping a supreme being will intervene, or you can get busy on a social revolution. Those are your choices. And revolutions are not made out of thin air. People don't just react and know what to do. They, they, they don't come through uh, the will of a handful of individuals. They're, they are deliberately done out of circumstances. And I made a quote which I, uh, by Henry Campbell Black, which I still have in front of me, um, uh, I mistakenly uh, for a moment uh, mis- mistook him for Hugo Black, the U.S. Supreme Court Justice. He was not a U.S. Supreme Court Justice. He was more of an authority. He is the compi- original compiler and author of Black's Law Dictionary, which is still at the uh, at the arm of every lawyer in the United States. And he said, and I asked if this sounded familiar, the right of revolution is the inherent right of a people to cast out their rulers, change their policy, or effect radical reforms in their system of government or institutions by force or a general uprising when the legal and constitutional methods of making such changes have proved inadequate or are so obstructed as to be unavailable, which I contend is exactly the situation now. Now, this this was written in 1910. Henry Campbell Black was considered the uh, most authoritative legal mind of his time. So the issue is to me to get to the root of why we are cowards, why we do not, uh, why we are unable to overcome our fear despite our really strong desire for freedom. Our intense desire for freedom is coupled with this fear of responsibility for ensuring that freedom. And my contention is that the basic equation is that over time, our desire for freedom and liberty, uh, because we're fearful of the responsibility of achieving it and perfecting it, got pushed into the political sphere, the state. And what that means is the, in, the intervention of party bureaucrats. And so 
we pretend that the state can introduce freedom and liberty to us. Not, it's not our responsibility anymore, the masses of people, you see, but the state. This is false. It doesn't work. So we pretend, we end up pretending that things like imperialism, tyranny, neocolonialism, uh, you know, as we're seeing now, uh, the people of Haiti understand, right? The U.S. is getting ready to invade Haiti again because they want to remove one of uh, our U.S. installed puppets who's corrupt and is starving them and causing cholera they know what to do we are as usual frozen by our fear so here's what we will do we'll do what we always do we'll pretend that we're making appeals for solidarity with the revolution that may take place in haiti or somewhere else as long as the question never raises its ugly head of revolution here to stop uh, the installation of U.S. puppets in other countries. So we always reduce this to these, uh, the actual issue to political abstractions. Never, and we never ever address the practical question of how to resist it and get rid of it. The, the question is what power relations need to be destroyed in order for the needs of people to be met. And that's what we keep ignoring when we play politics. That's my entire contention. Wow. Uh, great contention it is, too. And valid. Raising Thank very you, valid uh, questions. And they're not easy questions to answer. They are no. multiple as, as you said, there are multiple questions in one. Yes, and I'm very anxious to hear what your uh, astute and perceptive callers have to say uh, on this topic if they choose to address it, because I think it's the real issue before us. I think our real task is our fear. Not our wow. intelligence, not, uh, not, not our political divisions, not our manipulations by government, by our own fear. The, the, our excuse, our automatic excuse-making mechanism for doing what we know must be done. Is there, does anything come to mind that comes close to answering the question that occurred or has occurred recently? Uh, I'm not sure I understand what question you're asking me there. Could you, could you cite something that was in the news that illustrates your point? Um, that our real task is our fear, and that in the instance that you're going to cite, you mm -hmm. found elements of it that people were willing to confront their fear. Um. I, I can't think of any uh, examples in the United States of it. Uh, I can see it happening in Haiti right now. 
once again, as I said, we're going to invade there. The, the entire media spectrum is whooping as a whole for an invasion of Haiti whether they're Republicans or Democrats, progressives, as you see, the fake progressives uh, uh, signed a letter that they, they meekly suggested that there should be a peace treaty proposed between Ukraine and Russia. And the, the media reacted as a whole, like rabid dogs, and they immediately caved. All the fake progressives did. So, no, I mean, fear, uh, cowardice is absolutely the national pastime. People don't seem to understand. They think their political alienation, the fact that they're unhappy, will automatically lead to something, some response from the power structure to accommodate them. I mean, leftism should mean revolution. That's what it should mean. And if it doesn't, anything short of that is basically conservatism under the current environment. People don't understand, apparently, the history of how revolutions work. The, The political alienation is just the first stage. Then the revolutionary process has to begin with people who understand that, well, I guess I'm going to have to leave the business of sitting in front of the double wide, uh, uh, sitting in front of the TV (laughs) on the double wide to my children. I've got work to do. I've got revolutionary organizations to get started. I've got to start to make revolutionary appeals. I've got coalition building and movement building to do. I've got to figure out how can I institute nonviolent revolutionary politics. Or if if it if it comes to it, do I have to commit violent acts in order to get the revolution started? How do I prevent the rule of the moderates again that are going to herd me back into the the old system, which is what the Bernie Sanders and the fake progressives have done? Okay, I mean, it's a very complicated matter. No, it's not a simple thing that somebody did a a group of acts and that constitutes what I'm talking about. We are so far from even the beginning of doing anything about what's going to prevent what's going to happen to us. I mean, they are setting up a digital tyranny right in front of your face, right under your noses, and we're just wandering into it blindly, unquestioning the the digital currency is coming, and then that's it. Any talk of freedom is over. They will have control over every single thing you do. They'll know about it. Now, we don't have time to debate this. We just don't. So, no, I would look to Haiti. I would look to the people who actually have some experience. You know, illiterate Haitian peasants know more about protecting their liberty and setting up a democracy than supposedly educated Americans who aren't educated. They're mediatized. 
That's what they are. I want to thank you, Marcus, for returning to the subject today and filling things out so that we, at least we understand where you're coming from. And we can continue the conversation once people have digested what you've offered over these past two days. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, you, Therese. I'm very grateful for the opportunity you you give all of us to uh, discuss these things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we conclude that, and we go on to our regular Free Your Mind Friday. This is your forum. You choose the topic, and you take us through your reasoning. And uh, we see how it goes, whether people agree or disagree. It's not important whether they agree or disagree. It's important that they're listening, that they're hearing you, and that you're doing a good job of communicating the, the key points of your argument. All right. Next is Harvey from Berkeley. Hello, Harvey. You're on the air. Hello, fantastic, you trees. Hey, wonderful, Harvey. <laughs> We've been doing this for quite some time. <laughs> well, it's, it's my pleasure. And thank you uh, for being a pillar of light uh, to guide us in our fight as we create a better world for us, our children, and future generations. It's very much appreciated. And, well, thank uh, you very much. And t- My pleasure. And today, I'd like to share a few thoughts about our government's efforts to build a clean, renewable energy infrastructure. Uh, It's a great challenge as well as an opportunity for the federal government to help us reduce climate catastrophes, which are devastating both us and our beloved Mother Earth. And this is a new job-creating program that would eliminate a vast amount of greenhouse gases from entering our atmosphere. And on October 20th, 2022, there was an article with the headline, The Federal Government Needs 30,000 New Electric Vehicles Per Year to Meet Its Emissions Goal. President Biden uh, wants to replace the U.S. government's fleet of more than 600,000 vehicles with American-made electric cars, vans, trucks, and buses as, as his administration shifts its focus towards a renewable energy future. And last December, Biden issued an executive order mandating that all new federal vehicles be emission-free by 2035. The article went on to say that the government's accountability office, uh, federal missions goals, may require various agencies to purchase about 30,000 emission-free vehicles per year, as well as install thousands of new electric uh, vehicle charging ports, ports. And the General Service Administration estimates that the government will likely require as many as 100,000 electric vehicle charging ports to meet the demand. So the big question is, where is the electricity going to come from to power the federal government's new fleet of electric vehicles? Is it going to be from the fossil fuel burning plants that are heating up our planet at an unsustainable rate? Or is there a better way to get the job done? And the simple answer is that as of 2020, the federal government owns and leases more than 127,000 buildings. Um, wow. And men- yes, and many of these buildings have gigantic rooftops that can be covered with large arrays of solar panels. And the good news is that 
Once manufactured and installed, solar panels emit no greenhouse gases over their estimated 20 to 25-year warranty lifetime. They also use no water except for an occasional cleaning and are virtually maintenance-free. Additionally, these photovoltaic panels have no moving parts, make no noise, and and the vast majority of these panels are easily recycled. Another plus is that photovoltaic panels will both both shade and shield the federal building's rooftops, helping to reduce the building's heating and cooling costs. The installation of the solar panels across the rooftops of our country's federal buildings will help to create thousands of new jobs, especially for the unemployed for unemployed workers who have been hit the hardest by the present economic downturn. And as our country transitions towards renewable energy, it's my suggestion that the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People use their influence to lobby the Biden administration about training American, America's African, America's uh, African descent, people of African descent, as well as other minorities who are living in economically underprivileged communities to install these solar panels and plug-in ports on federally owned lease and leased buildings. Over the years, the tremendous amount of tax dollars that our government will save on fossil fuels as well as the as well as uh, as they transition towards electric vehicles, as well as reducing the federal building's heating and cooling, co- and cooling costs, can be put towards important pot projects like creating better, less expensive educational system, developing stronger social program- programs, and rebuilding our country's decaying infrastructure. And uh, with the dawning of this new renewable energy sunrise, it's time for both us and our federal government to get star-powered, and I say, let's get solar. So thank you, Trees. Thank you, Harvey. Thanks so much. Good points. Jay from New York, you're on the air. Hello, Jay. You're on the air. I'm hearing some noise, but I'm not hearing your voice. Okay, 888-874-4888 is the number to call and express your opinion about something and and take us through your reasoning. That's really important, too, because that gives us some information. And we just had Marcus tell us how important it is to operate with information and rather than fade away in the background and uh, become uh, cowardly about it. Jeremiah from New York, you're on the air. Jeremiah, are you there? What's going on? Well, I saw him. Jeremiah? Are you there? Okay. Uh, please call again because I we, we're not hearing you. 888-874-4888 is the number to call. It is Free Your Mind Friday. It is the open forum, as you know, to express an opinion and... You, you want to be able to make contact 
but you're also teaching. Keep that in mind. You're teaching. You're informing. You you are affecting people's opinions themselves. And, uh, what are they thinking? And it's influenced by what you are teaching. So it's a very nice way of people reaching people and engaging directly in conversation. Jeremiah, you're back. Yeah, can you hear me this time, Eutrice? Yes, I can. Yes, okay, I can. Okay, there we go. I don't know what was going on there. I'm in Chinatown, <laughs> New York City here, so please forgive any oh. uh, sounds of tourists passing That's me in the okay. background and that kind of thing. Well, um, okay. I'm sorry, Eutrice, but I'm a one-trick pony right now, which is <laughs> I'm stuck on this issue of the biosecurity state. I feel that we've crossed into a, a threshold that is going to be very hard to uh, return from if we don't stand up and uh, realize what's going on very quickly. And, um, you know, just a quick update. I'm not sure how many of your listeners or if you're familiar with the, um, I guess you would call it a lawsuit or the, the legal action that forced the CDC to release the V-safe data. Have you heard of this news item? No. Um, I, I guess the V-Safe was a, seemed to be a volunteer program, and it was linked to the CDC, and it was an app, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, COVID I just, vaccine I just want to hold on for one second. I just want you to yes. clarify the CDC. Those are the Centers for Disease Control. Exactly. The Center for Disease okay. Control um, issued a system to monitor the safety of the COVID vaccines, the V-safe system. It included 10 million participants. Now, oh, yeah. um, yes, 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 yes. Right. So, so yeah. we requested, or this information was requested, well, well, how safe are these vaccines? And the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, which is supposed to protect the public, obviously, they hid this data, which is just incomprehensible. I mean, shouldn't this just be right out on the table so everyone could know what's going on? But no, they wanted to hide the fact that this data proves that these novel so-called vaccines are injurious, which to me is just such a huge scandal right off the, off the bat. But then the fact of the matter is that um, the data from the V-Safe system showed that these vaccines are completely unsafe, that out of 10 million participants in this voluntary program, um, 25% of them had to miss work or school um, because of their side effects or their, you know, their their adverse reaction to to um, to the shot. But then, um, even worse is that seven percent of the ten million have experienced medical problems that require ongoing treatment. So we're talking about seven you percent know, of recipients recipients out of a pretty sizable group of ten million with you know potentially permanent injuries or life-altering injuries, and now, you know, this has been proven in court, and we have a media system that won't touch this issue. It's a huge issue, but they won't touch it because they're culpable in these crimes. They push these drugs on the public without any reasonable inquiry, and, you know, I just can't believe what's going on at this point. We've gotten into, um, you know, this a new level of injury denial like I've never seen. I mean... I just can't understand why someone would even 
engage in injury denial. For example, I don't live where you live in Florida, Utrecht. If you told yeah. me that there was a, a safety issue in your community, would I argue with you? No, of course not, because you know what's going on in your community better than I do, by far. So I don't understand these people. They haven't looked into what's going on at all, but they're hypervigilantly saying that nothing is wrong. And it's the weirdest thing in the world. I mean, the people who choose to argue with me, I, I have to ask them, well, what's the gist of what you're saying? You're just defending the right of the government to collude with corporations to harm the public? And you're angry at me because I don't agree with that? I mean, we are literally in a, in, a, in a world upside down type of situation. I mean, people think censorship is virtuous. Dr. Sucharit Bhakti, who is a renowned biologist and doctor, said so many things that were going to go wrong with these vaccines before they were administered to the public. He said they were going to result in blood clots. We have seen that. He said that this spike protein can appear anywhere in your body in an unregulated way, that the, the thing that's supposed to sort of give your immune system a boost in the upper, in the upper uh, respiratory area can appear in your brain, in your heart, in your ovaries, wherever, resulting in ruptures, resulting in loss of eyesight, loss of hearing loss. Any kind of random injury can occur in your body now. And, you know, all of this is being proven in peer-reviewed science. And Dr. Bhakti, just for one example, was warning people about this before these products were ever administered. So a lot of the people who were censored actively have just been proven correct. So, I mean, what is going on that we have Twitter and we have Facebook and these highly influential corporations that, you know, impact our society, engage in active censorship. And, you know, and the, the gist of their censorship is injury denial, claiming that people who were injured or people who are dead are not dead, are not injured. Everything is fine. Everything is peachy. Everything is hunky dory. And I just, I can't believe what's going on. It's a double, um, you know, insanity because, one, it's going on, and then the, the second half of the insanity is the total lack of response. That people have agreed that, oh, yeah, the, the major corporations and, and the government, they can, they can injure us, and they can count on us to be silent about it and even um, to buy into their ongoing uh, campaign against the people. And it's also really discouraging because, you know, I've traditionally come out of the left. Well, I thought I was in the left movement in New York. And this whole thing has paralyzed our discussion. There's so many wow. people that are just of this mindset that they say, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. I sent an article to a friend about how I think it was 950, nearly a thousand teachers were going to be fired in New York City for failing to comply with a secondary vaccine deadline. They were on unpaid leave for, you know, about a year. And then they, they had one more chance to comply with this deadline to have their jobs restored. And they didn't. So there's going to be about 950 teachers fired. So I sent this article to a friend. They said, oh, I, I don't want to discuss this with you anymore. We've already discussed this 20 times. I said, how did we discuss something 20 times when this is an article that appeared in the newspaper today? 
Well, I don't want to talk about vaccines. I'm not talking about vaccines. I'm talking about workers, teachers who are being fired. So imagine this crippling effect that it has something to do with the vaccine. I don't want to talk about it. Well, it's not just about a so-called vaccine. It's about the workers. It's about social relationships. It's about an inappropriate power relationship that is being established with the people and the government. So now the government can whip up chemical crap that we're supposed to take at any given time. I mean, that's the precedent that's been set. I mean, you know, to me, it's crazy enough that people took this stuff that was rushed to the market. I mean, we all know haste makes waste. So, you know, it's crazy enough that people took it. But the crazier part, again, with the double insanity is, okay. you were crazy enough to take it, but you're also completely confused as to why I or someone else would not want to take something that was rushed to the market. I mean, it's just insanity. We started today. We started today with a commentary that was continued from yesterday by Marcus. Yes. And Marcus, the portion that I heard, I, by the way. I think, yes, I, I believe the same with you. Uh, because I'm hearing the same refrain. He says it as, a, as this. He says, fear and cowardice are the national pastime. And the question is, how do we go about the, the real task, which is confronting our own fears? And this is what you're telling us that you've run into in your own uh, travails and what, trying to communicate with people, and they don't want any part of it. Right. We have been paralyzed by fear. Mm. which is why I think everyone should train in the martial arts. That's the short solution is train yourself in the martial arts because the martial arts is the statement that your life is worth fighting for. And the life of your loved ones is worth fighting for. Um, is it going to solve all the problems all at once? No, but it's a beginning to a solution of confronting that state of fear, which is a natural state. You know, fear is necessary for survival. We can't just sustain fear. Fear is what tells you when something is dangerous and we need it to survive. So let's not just uh, sustain fear. Let's realize its purpose, but then mm -hmm. find it within ourselves to confront that fear as justifiable as it may be in various situations. Because when, when we're overwhelmed by fear, we can't think clearly. Simple as no, that. we can't. We can't move. We're paralyzed. Thank you so much for calling in Thank and you. contributing today. Thank you. Thank you. Gwen from New York, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, hi, Utrice. I was hi, Gwen. Uh, very, uh, very compelled by uh, by the speakers so far, uh, Marcus and um, Jeremiah, both. And what compelled me to pick up the phone was when uh, Marcus was talking about fear. And, you know... <clears throat> I I went to bed last night in really utter fear of something that I'm taking on. Um, you know, we've decided to argue a case that I'm in in a very honest and forthright way, which politically doesn't usually get you too far. But I'm not getting anywhere in this case anyway. Uh, you know, no matter what I say, I, it's, it falls on deaf ears. So, you know, I had to talk to myself about this fear this morning that I had and, and saying, 
you're going to lose no matter what. Why don't you step up to the plate and just, you know, take this risk. And if you win, it's going to be, I, I truly believe it'll be a precedent-setting case. But that's my personal fear. And when I got onto the phone with a, a friend of mine, she lives her life encased in fear. Every every conversation is, uh, you know, what are we going to do about the lack of food and, 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 and what's going to happen with China and, and just all kinds of stuff. And, you know, my friend and I both listen to different media. She listens to CNN all day. And, and I listen to this. And um, although I hear a lot of things that are very disturbing and fear-driven, I mean, I am afraid of the robots, the uh, artificial intelligence. I am afraid of this uh, disease um, and, and this vaccine. But I have found in my life that uh, a lot of times when I have fear, it gives me the traction to step up to the plate and, and uh, speak truth to power many times. And even though, even when I'm doing it, it's very, very scary. I mean, you know, there's nothing easy about standing in front of an audience and, and speaking what your truth is. It's very hard. It's very difficult. But I always feel better when I'm finished. I always feel better. And over the last couple of years, it's, I, I feel like um, everybody's on high alert with fear and irrational fears, you know, um, and, and people are very uneducated because I, I think they choose to be uneducated. I mean, I'm, I'm, my sisters all believe that Russia is, is the boogeyman. And it's so weird because we grew up in this very, you know, left-leaning household. So how do, how do they think that? And, and I, you know, I don't really have an opinion on Russia one way or the other. I just feel that we shouldn't be attacking their country uh, and, and putting our, our weapons on their border. But anyway, I think that I have really sat down at night sometimes and talked to myself about the things that I feel afraid of and the things, you know, there are people that can hurt you in this world. And, but, but what makes this guy Harari, you know, this Dr. Harari who, who's, who's trying to kill the entire human race, what makes him any better than me? I mean, what's he afraid of, that he has to get rid of the entire human race or control the whole human race? Why don't we step up to people like this? They're mentally ill. There is something wrong with them. They need to be taken away from their power structure. But instead, we allow them to hold the power, to continue the power. And really, what is he? He's nothing but a a man with some blood running through his veins and some really sick ideas. So why is it that we allow people like this to keep going full throttle? And Sometimes, surprise, surprise, when you speak up to people like this, every once in a while, you can take one of them down. I don't mean, you know, kill them. I mean, but take them down from their power. I I have found this in my own life where, you know, I I remember when I wanted to save this public school and, you know, a guy, uh, you know, slapping me on the side of the arm saying, well, good luck, lady. And, you know, I turned to him. I said, you're the one who's going to need it. And the school is saved and it's landmark now. Now, so many people wouldn't step up to the plate to do that. They absolutely knew that it was impossible, except for, you know what, it was possible. And and if I think that we are conditioned 24 hours a day, seven days a week, mostly through the TV, to feel afraid of everything and everyone um, and, and the thorniness of the people that are you know, uh, moderating these TV shows, how the hell they want us to all be afraid, and they they want us they 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 get up on their so uh, their so tall high horse, which is ridiculous because most of them are, are lacking any any kind of morals or moral values. So, 
you know, I'm glad to hear uh, Marcus speak about it. And I'm also, you know, um, I'm glad to hear uh, everyone else talk about it. But I do think it's something we all need to look at. What, what really are you afraid of? And, you know, uh, for, you know, many people, <laughs> I really like uh, Roosevelt. I think a lot of the stuff that they did was really good. I think they tried a lot of things and they failed a lot of things, but I think they tried. And I, I think that when he said, what do you have to fear, but fear itself resonated with people like my parents so deeply because they were encased in it and they didn't think that there was ever going to be a way forward. And those words are still powerful today, but I think we need to resurrect them, put them in your heart and, 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 and say to yourself that the person that you're so afraid of, you know, really, what do they have? They have, a, they have a stack of paper dollar bills and they have blood in their veins like you and I do. But other than that, what do they have? And, and maybe if we, we see people like that, we can, we can, you know, step up to the plate more often and more effectively than we have been. Hmm. We're getting taught today. That's T-A-U-G-H-T. <laughs> We're being taught today by a number of very capable educators. So we should be listening rather intently to what it is they offering us to consider today. Thanks, Gwen, for calling. Bob from Virginia, you're on the air. Good morning. Uh, I guess it's good afternoon, you cheese. How are you? Okay, Bob. Thank you. Good afternoon to you too. Just a couple of quick and then quick things, and I'll I'll uh, <clears throat> deal with the major things. Like reason I called about. Uh, gentlemen talked about solar cells. First of all, if you listen to Gary Knoll's show, he has proved that there's not enough rare metals and materials necessary to produce the number of solar cells, even to run a major number of cars in this country, let alone buildings and other other facilities. If there were enough solar cells to be able to be made, they could have uh, plastered the top of the wall in the southern border, sold the electricity, and it would have paid for the wall, but we didn't see that happen. And the number two part of that solar cell issue is the uh, solar cells are not environmentally safe, and they're not recyclable because they have chemicals in them that can pollute the land. But let me get on to the major topic. You, We've been talking about fear. It seems to me that the major fear that people have is fear of change. And that is because we've never taught in school, we're never taught in books, we're never taught by our, our religious leaders or our other people we look up to about how change happens. So I'm going to explain it the way I understand it. There are three three major aspects. They're called body, mind, and spirit. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of this. The body is the physical the mind is the emotional, and the spirit is something ethereal, something above all of those two, both of those two things. And for change to happen, it has to be initiated. The initiation of change happens on the spiritual, what I call the plane, spiritual plane. That's on the ethereal. It's up there someplace, and it initiates that something may need to be changed, but no change happens there. On the on the emotional mind level plane, the decisions to make the change happen, but no real change happens there. And this is true of every aspect of existence, whether it's live or innate. 
The only time change ever happens is when it gets to the physical, that's the body plane. If you want to change anything, look for something to change on the physical or the body plane. And then first, A, initiate it in the spiritual level. B, make the decision to change. And then implement the change in the physical or body level. If everybody would think about these concepts and and institute them if they're interested or find a different system for themselves to make change. I think uh, we would get over this idea of fear of change. Thank you for your time and enjoying the show. Oh, thank you very much, Bob. So nice. I really like this show because I like listening to what people are thinking and sharing. And it's, it, it is stunning. If we kind of calm down enough to really listen hard and that's what I like to do I prefer if it it were at all possible I'll just you know start up the program saying hi this is you Chris Lee now you talk (laughs) that's a great concept for a program say nothing let everybody else talk thank you Bob for sharing with us today we coming close but we still have time for somebody who might want to say something we have a little bit of time about a couple of minutes uh, but I want to say something too and that is I thank you I thank you profoundly for making such a strong effort to utilize this medium the way you have been utilizing it. This this is what radio should be doing. Encouraging a kind of education that we, we long since lost. People are not listening to each other. People are not looking for information. They think they have it already. And it is important, I think, to encourage people to look at the flip side of a coin just for a moment and see where it leads you. And also to reinforce in yourself, because you can certainly hear the reactions of people, reinforce that the work you are doing individually is worth it because you are sharing and people, it is registering very well with people. I'm just a, a conduit. <laughs> and I love the role. I love the idea of putting people together and having them talk to each other. Uh, that's incredible. And it is a kind of new thing, if you will, in U.S. radio. The concept of radio really was somebody's behind a microphone and they take full charge of your brain. <laughs> you, you hand your brain, o- brain over to that person and they do whatever it is they need to do with it and hand it back to you at the end of the program. I prefer that a program or uh, the 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 cross-pollination of ideas is very exciting. 
when people are listening to the intent of what the speaker is saying and the effort the speaker is making to convey a new idea or a new way of thinking of things, uh, I think it is great that uh, you can have that kind of interaction. It is quite possible, and you can benefit so much from doing a simple thing like that, just listening or talking. Either way, you're contributing. So I want to thank you very much for tuning in today and for listening. I want to thank you very much also for supporting the station. We certainly need it. And really, thank you for basically having the the presence of mind to look at new ways of getting information and utilizing it to your advantage as well. So we meet up again tomorrow. No, not tomorrow. (laughs) I'm saying tomorrow. On Monday. We'll meet up again on Monday. Uh, I've I've been working really hard, so I'm losing my mind. (laughs) But we'll we'll be back with each other on Monday, as they say, God willing, and the creek don't rise. Bye-bye.